I spent my babysitter money. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And this week we're talking Ad Astra. Astra. The movie that proves the bond of megalomania between fathers and sons knows no bounds, even the stars. <laughs> well, that's all we've got for you this week. Have a great day. Do you think that accurate? that's an accurate uh, tagline for it? I do. <laughs> I do. Um, also, it's Ad Astra, not oh. Ad Astra. Well, so I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and out myself here is that I said Ad, and then I heard you say it. I'm like, damn it. I'm like, Ad Astra. <laughs> if it's pronounced in the Latin, it's Ad Astra to the stars. But we're in Georgia, so it's Ad Astra. It's not. It's not. Mm-hmm. We're not from Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> we're not from Latin either. No, but there's a right and there's a wrong. <laughs> I, I'm just going to point out how you completely breezed over the fact that I said we're not from Latin either. <laughs> I just want to let you dig your own grave. Yeah. <laughs> Megalomania. <laughs> uh, so this week we saw uh, Ad Astra with Brad Pitt. And Tommy Lee Jones. And Tommy Lee Jones, uh, directed by James Gray. Yeah. Um. So I... Th- I th- I think we thought this movie was okay. Uh, yeah. Should we do some housekeeping before we get into it? Yes. There's no dog in the podcast right now. No. Um, Madison got a new bed. Yes, she did. Because Madison takes her beds on adventures <laughs> and destroys them. So we got her a new bed. It's accidentally a little small. And she hates it. Yeah. <laughs> she hates it. So we're working on that. Um, so I'm trying to have to overcome my mom guilt from the fact that Madison hates her new bed it's also been like four hours since we saw this movie which is a long stretch for us um it is yeah which so our day we went um kind of in midday ish this is not a super long movie no which i think we were ready for not a super long movie yes but it felt longer to me yeah um it felt long again before we start getting into that what other uh housekeeping do we have today um so stoked to be back with you all. Um, as you know, mostly Thursdays are our release day, but um, it continues. So it's episodic season right now. So what that means is Jess and Jordan are far more busy than normal. Yeah. Um, which I know we're both extremely grateful for because in a way, this time of year sets us up for the beginning of next year. Yeah. For t- next year's success. So um, I'm super grateful. I I have I'm grateful to be working on I'm full time on a TV show which is on HBO. I'm excited to be able to announce that probably next year, um, as well as a Netflix show. And um, I'm just super dang grateful. But it does take up a lot a lot of time. Yeah, I've been pulling literal like 22 hour days in the studio lately, uh, and then we realized that. We have, I have, I'm playing every weekend in October, which is great. And again, I'm not going to complain about that, but I'm literally away from home every weekend in October. And Uh, you were gone most of August. Yeah. And then a good portion of September, I was, uh, I was doing stuff. And then, uh, I just, I just Hercules, a short film, uh, where I did, I did the uh, sound design, mixing, and the score for it. It was a 20-minute long film, and I had a week to do to get a turnaround on there. And I did it, 
and the score was so good that both uh, the director and the producer were like, we had chills that we didn't know were there. That's awesome. So yeah, I'll take that. Right? Yeah. So thank you for your patience. Thank you so much for continuing to be our audience. Um, if you would like to help us continue to grow um, and also be more part of this podcast because we do like to talk back and answer questions and also discuss you know, movies with you. We see each other all the time. I know. <laughs> I, actually, we just got finished saying I No, we don't. Touche. Um, but please uh, rate this podcast and review it. Um, and we, we really like, we like to respond. Um, but also it helps us keep growing and helps us grow this podcast. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that come late fall, early winter, we'll be able to get back into the movies more often and start releasing these a little more regularly. I hope so. But although I don't want to promise cause I'm on the show until December. Yeah. Wah. Well, I mean, all it takes is one day off a week, you know, that's true. But we also have like other stuff to do. I know. In between, we got home. We uh, I put up Halloween decorations. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, we've been so we've been watching some stuffs. What have we been watching recently? We we've kind of been going. We've been doing like revisiting movies. So we've yeah. revisited The Conjuring. Mm -hmm. We did a Casino Royale. Casino Royale. Batman Begins. Which wasn't Batman Begins a lot better than you remember it being? Yes. Like I always thought it was good, but The Dark Knight was so good that that's just the one I always go back to. And I realize it's been a borderline decade since I've seen Batman Begins. Really? I don't think so. I think so. I, I think, I don't remember watching we've it. We've definitely watched it since we've been married. Since we've been married, but like, I think the last time we watched it was our, my, last time I watched it was within our first year in LA. Yeah, but we've only been married nine years. Yeah, but that was almost a decade ago. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Well, we've definitely watched it since then, but it is a lot, it's, it's, it's a lot better than you kind of remember it. Yeah. Um, you remember it, it kind of being the Batman movie without a whole lot of Batman in it? And that's just not the case at all. No, there's a ton of Batman. Yeah. Um, it's just shot in a way. Like, in The Dark Knight, you get full on you get full on views of Batman. In this one, they definitely keep him a lot more mysterious. Well, and it the movie is really purposeful. The cinematography is really purposeful. Um and I think I, I think we it gets shadowed by the Dark Knight, but you have to. We also have to remember that this is the movie that like set us all up to go see Dark Knight at midnight. Yeah, like this had to be that good. I, and I remember when it came out, you and I saw it like twice in theaters, and I saw it once with my dad too. Nice. Yeah, uh, but I remember seeing the Dark Knight like five times in theaters. I know you did. Mm -hmm. I did not. Uh, we, uh, me, and a bunch of my buddies who I lived with. Uh, they, I say college. I didn't actually go to college, but they were all in college. Um, but uh, we went midnight to go see The Dark Knight, and then that, we were just blown away by it. They had to kick us out of the theater because we kept talking about it just in the hallway. And I'm like, guys, we got to go home. <laughs> uh, but the next morning, I woke up and I just was like, I want to see it again, but I don't want to be that guy. That just, I don't know. And then my friend Will, or our friend Will, who's usually one of the most level headed people we know, just comes into my room and is like, you want to go see the Dark Knight again? I was like, I thought no one would ever ask. <laughs> and we're going to see that feller get married this coming weekend. Yes, we are. I am playing in his wedding. That yeah. is weekend number one. Weekend number one. Uh, but yeah, so we rewatched the Dark Knight, which again, if you're like me and you typically just go back to, or Batman Begins, if you typically go back to the Dark Knight, uh, do yourself a favor and go back to Batman Begins, especially if you're if you're like not in your early 20s anymore. It might be the meatiest one out of all three of them. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. 
It's really good. Uh, Casino Royale stands up, still is amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, I had forgotten, in a way, how good Daniel Craig is, like, because it was set up to kind of be a prequel. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot how good he plays that off. Yeah. Like, how good he is. Well, one thing I'd forgotten, too, and, of course, we've seen, you know, three other Daniel Craig's, uh, James Bonds, in the last decade. Yeah. Um, which I still say I'm going to mourn the fact that we're not going to see a Danny Boyle James Bond, but I do, I am very interested to see what Carrie Fukunaga does with it. Yes. Because uh, he's fantastic. And I'm going to be really interested to see what Dan Romer does as a composer, too, because I've never heard him do a big orchestra thing. Well, here, here we go. Yeah. But um, one thing I forgot that he does so well in uh, Casino Royale, and that's something people always say is like, oh, that steely gaze that Daniel Craig has. And like, you just kind of, yeah. well, but you kind of think of it as like, you know, like a Calvin Klein model thing, but the way that he like, it goes out of his way to look at, look into people's eyes as he kills them. Like not only was it like intense and steely, which are the two things that people like saying, but it was like, well, that's chilling, you know? It's so good. Yeah. And there's also this one shot where he's driving at night and the only color in the whole shot are his eyes. Yeah. It's, oh, it's so good. It's so good. He's my favorite Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan listens to a podcast called James Bonding. So if you are a huge James Bond fan. Yeah, it's um, Matt I- Gorley and Matt Myra. They have a third season where essentially they're like giving you their own audio commentary to it. So they're literally watching the movies. Funny. I haven't listened to that much yet. But uh, if you're a Stitcher Premium uh, subscriber, which I am because I'm in the road, I'm in the car a lot. And for five bucks a month, it's like, OK, I'll have one less co- cup of coffee a month. Uh but um, they do an episode where they go through and they have a special guest and they rank all of the uh, all of the themes, and it gets to be a spectacular mess because they're making up the rules on when they're talking about <laughs> things as they go on. But about a quarter of the way through, they all get on the same page, and it's really interesting. And most of my uh, feelings on the theme songs line up with theirs. Uh, Matt Gorley likes the theme song to Octopussy so much better than I think anybody should. <laughs> but. <laughs> That's fair. But we all agree that the Sam Smith one is not very good at all. No, it's garbage. Yeah. Um, and The Conjuring. Classic. Um, happy Halloween, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize that Alexander Ward was in Annabelle 3. You didn't? No, because I didn't know about it until the movie came out and he started sharing it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's one of the reasons we wanted to go see it. I don't remember that. Well, if you go visit um, our episode of The Nun, our special guest is Alexander Ward. It's a really good friend, and he plays the ferryman mm-hmm. uh, in Annabelle 3. Um, we have talked about um, Annabelle's 1 and 2 on this show, briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the second Annabelle. The second Annabelle is good. The first Annabelle is inoffensive. It's fine. It, it's it's something. The second one is unique and scary. Well, and you know who did the second one? Who? David F. Sandberg, who just did uh, uh, Shazam. I almost called it Kazam. <laughs> Shazam. Uh, that's awesome. It was great. Yeah. I. It was. It was a scary movie in which we've not quite seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had the great pleasure of working one of the actresses in that in mm-hmm. Annabelle. Um, and actually, it's a movie that. She was in, and Alex was in, that I got to work on. Yeah? Yeah, so it was really great. Um, And I'm just really stoked for Alex, so hopefully we can get him back. Yeah, I'd like to, but I mean, mean, dude is busy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, just to give a plug to Alex, uh, you know, make sure if you're if you stream stuff on Twitch, uh, check out L.A. by Night, where he basically plays Vampire the Masquerade as Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it's not my thing, but I really like what that group of people are doing on it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, he's really into it. He's got some great fans. He shares he shares fan artwork on his Twitter all the time. Like people, it's so yeah. Good. People will just like be like, "Hey, I wanted to draw this picture of this of your character." So I definitely recommend checking that out, especially if you're into D and D, and especially if you played like Vampire the Masquerade. You know. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um. I guess the only other bit of housekeeping is there anything on this day in film and history or in film history? Oh, I've not. Got, I've not looked it up. While uh, you're looking that up, yeah, I, talk away. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I've been watching recently. Uh, we talked about the what, what have you been watching for the like twentieth time? Oh, uh, yeah, I did my monthly Steve Jobs. I didn't get to finish it this time. Uh, I was putting together uh, kayak holders for Jessica's car uh, rack, so that way we could finally go kayaking. Um, I liked it. I also didn't finish watching it because you kept complaining about it. So, listen, I'm I don't. Just, I don't do that when you watch Bridget Jones. By the way, uh, when was the last time I watched it? I don't know. Exactly. Also, I like. I'm having a heart. So, I, okay, admission, which may inform today's podcast, maybe a little bit. I'm a little tired of whiny white dudes. I will sit here quietly. <laughs> <laughs> It came off much better than I intended. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, and Steve Jobs in this movie, the first time I saw it was blown away. Uh, Kate Winslet is brilliant mm-hmm. in this movie. Yeah. Brilliant. Michael Stuhlbarg as well. Uh, I mean, the whole cast. The whole cast. And even, um, uh, who plays Steve Jobs? Uh, Michael Fassbender. Fassbender. Michael Fassbender is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Seth Rogen too. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, I, I mean, and we literally gushed. We paused the movie to gush about Seth Rogen mm-hmm. in the middle of the day. Yeah, but what I will say is, just watching this about Steve Jobs, and I currently convinced that um, the guy who create created Tesla Motors is a Bond Bond villain, and I'm just. There's these people who do amazing things with their minds, but they treat other people like complete garbage. And I'm just in this phase right now. It will grow out. It will change. But I'm in a phase right now where I'm just like, oh, my God. What could you have done if you weren't such a grade A a-hole? That's my phase right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a phase. I, I can't tell you when it will stop. But... Before you go on, I'm going to say one last thing about Steve Jobs. Of course. Uh, for those of you who are listening, if you like listening to WTF with Mark Marin, I highly recommend it anyway, because he's got some really interesting interviews on there, and he's just like conversational. Um, but he did one with Danny Boyle. And listening to him talk, uh, Steve Jobs was one of those movies that got caught up in the Sony hack, because yeah. it was originally supposed to be at Sony, and then we found out through the emails that... Uh, that the producers, Amy Pascal and, God, I can't remember, Scott something. I don't remember, but yes. Yeah, but they had this big falling out about it. And it was supposed to be David Fincher who was originally going to direct it. And then he ended up dropping out because of drama. uh, And then Danny Boyle picked it up. Um, David Fincher is probably one of the best living directors out there. Um, I go back to like Gone Girl and Social Network quite a bit. Yes. Uh, and even as far back as uh, Seven, and I am an Alien 3 apologist as well. 
Because um, I think that had he been given the actual reins to do something with that, it would have been like the most amazing alien movie you could have ever imagined. Um, but I think that David Fincher is the closest modern day Stanley Kubrick that we have, which I mean in the highest regard. However, yes. I do think that David Fincher's films, and I've never met him, I can't say anything about him personally, but David Fincher's films are more interested in what's going on around the people as opposed to the hearts of the people themselves. Yes. And Danny Boyle, if you ever hear him talk, and if you see the movies he's doing, even something like Train Spotting, there's so much heart in that guy. And like he exposes he exposes himself on the film. And so for somebody who is as clinical and as much of an asshole as Steve Jobs was, especially in the movie, I think if it were anybody but Danny Boyle doing that movie, it would have been like the coldest, most alienating movie ever. So I wholeheartedly give it up for Danny Boyle there. I can I'm on board with that. Yeah. Anyway, I'm done. I'm done gushing about Steve Jobs. If you have not seen Steve Jobs, do yourself a favor and see it. It's a wonderful movie. You sure you're done gushing? I am now. <laughs> I think we're getting a Madison as well. Um, alrighty. So today in film history, so today is uh, October third, um, 1941. The Maltese Falcon, directed by John Huston and based off Dashiell Hammett's 1921 novel of the same name, starring Humphrey Bogart and Mary Astor, premieres in New York City. Well, look at that. And that's pretty much the coolest thing that happened. <laughs> well, we, but I mean, like, that is like a major dent in film history right there. Agreed. John Huston, Humphrey Bogart, Dashiell Hammett, uh, a type of movie that has been just ripped off and borrowed from and paid tribute to a million times uh a macguffin that you never see a macguffin a macguffin uh which for those of you who don't know that's a term alfred hitchcock came up with which is just an object that propels the plot forward so like that would be like the briefcase in uh pulp fiction um like pretty much anything that james bond chases after uh in any of his movies but something where like it's not important what the object is it's just an object that that puts it forward and the maltese falcon is definitely one of those because it's been years since i've seen it we have it upstairs but uh i don't think you ever even see what the maltese falcon is so you don't know if it's a sculpture you don't know if it's a statue you don't know if it's an award you don't know if it's a brand of brandy you know yep yeah so awesome well should we get into talking about this movie Let's talk about To the Stars, Ad Astra. Yeah. Uh, I rated last week first, I believe, so I think it's your turn. Well, what are we rating in? Uh, God, I don't know. Uh, spacesuits? Yeah, we'll do spacesuits. Why not? I'm going to give this two and three quarters to three spacesuits. Why? <sighs> I thought this was a lot of effort to go through for daddy issues. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm going to use a strong word here. Hated. I hated that there was uh, voiceover throughout the whole movie. Yeah. The score was so brilliant and so beautiful mm -hmm. that they did not need the voiceover and it was so distracting and it, it, cheapened Brad Pitt's performance. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm sorry, keep going. And I, I got it. Um, I also became uninterested because they had made him so much to be, I knew what the payoff was going to be. 
right? Because mm-hmm. they've made him into this robot of a human, right? Such a super soldier that he has very little emotion. He's even keeled to a fault. Um, and I knew the emotional journey, right? Yeah. I became uninterested because I'm I'm interested to watch people try to overcome their humanity. And to me, for example, in this in the movie, there's a there's a captain who is afraid, right? Mm-hmm. And he does things or doesn't do things because of fear. I was more interested in that person's decisions than Roy's after mm-hmm. a time. Yeah. Because I knew what he would do. Mm-hmm. I knew and to me, that's not bravery. Yeah. When you aren't afraid, you just go do the thing. Yeah. But overcoming fear is what bravery is. And I couldn't figure out, I, um, it never felt high stakes to me. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of felt like it was like ho-hum. I can see that. Um, yeah, I have some very specific thoughts on some of those. Uh, I'm going to give this right around a three. Okay. And I'm going to preface this by saying I think that this score for me as it, as time goes on is probably going to wildly fluctuate in both directions. Okay. Because there were moments of this movie where it gave me exactly what I wanted. Um we'll definitely talk about the score. We'll definitely talk about a lot of the stunt work which was great. Um it's one of the most beautifully shot movies I've seen in in theaters in a while. It was beautifully uh, shot. Yeah. Um Thematically, a lot of it reminded me of uh, First Man, actually. Um, yes, which to I, yep, mm-hmm, yeah. continue on. Um, I think I'm probably about to say something that is going to touch on what you were about to say. Uh, but for one thing, I think that this movie was a movie that wanted to be a, a sci-fi art film like Solaris, the, orig- uh, the 72 Russian version, or uh, 2001. But it also, I think it was also caught up in trying to be commercial, so it couldn't decide where it wanted to be. I think that's why you get the voiceover. Because if this were a movie that was made for art cinemas, like Solaris or 2001, then it would be carried by the visuals and the music, and you wouldn't worry about a narration. But I think that they put that in there to try and make it a little more commercial. Well, it cheapened it. Um, to me, my feeling as of today is that this movie is kind of like listening to a cover band. Because I can point out where they picked everything from. Yeah. And it's a really good blend of its influences. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But but it I don't feel like it brought a whole lot new to the table. And the points that it wanted to make, like like at the end, uh, spoiler alert, whenever he and Tommy Lee Jones are talking, uh he says something there that should have been a much more powerful moment, but they set this movie up to be so even keeled that the emo- it didn't have the emotional dynamic that it should have to made that make that moment land. Yeah, I, I think you probably know which parts I'm talking. I think about. so. And we can go into more about it after the break when we get into spoiler territory. Um, but yeah, it just kind of felt like. They wanted it to be these extremely high risks, and they set it up that these surges were killing tons of people, uh-huh. and that there was real risk. And yet, I didn't feel it. Yeah. Well, and I know, too, one thing, like, the whole point of the movie is to go here, do this thing, and then come back home. And to to go that route, that route in a story now, it's so well-trodden, because that's Heart of Darkness, which therefore is Apocalypse Now. 
And one thing James Gray said is that he wanted it to be like if you mixed 2001 and Apocalypse Now, that that's this movie. And I wouldn't say it was succeeded. No, but I could definitely see those influences. Yeah. But but it makes it does make the stakes a little less, and it definitely doesn't have the impact that Apocalypse Now has at the end of. Well, its also journey. if we think about Apocalypse Now, po- Apocalypse Now is a satire. Mm-hmm. Apocalypse Now is basically saying war is evil and awful. But right. we're going to do it in a way that makes you think rah-rah America. Which is funny because it is definitely not. It is definitely an anti-war movie. It's an anti-war movie. And yet, the, so about three quarters of the way through this movie, I started to wonder, what, what, is this, what is this satirizing? Or what is this a metaphor for? For example, is this a metaphor for loss? Is this a metaphor for going through depression? What is this the metaphor for? Except for daddy issues. Yeah. Right? And could not think of one. Well, because the because the main character is set up to be so in like inhuman. Yeah, he's set up to be like Ryan Gosling in Blade Runner. Right. But And there's so many parallels there too. Especially like the way he does his psych evals, that's like Ryan Gosling having to uh having to like get his baseline checked in Blade Runner. Right, but but he was a robot. Right, that's what I'm saying. But that and also Blade Runner Blade Runner and 2049 sets you up in this world that's like holy crap like this whole you're in this immersive experience, right? Mm-hmm. And he's falling in love with something that you know isn't real and how he there's so many other things going on. This had saved the world in it mm-hmm. and like armageddon was far scarier yeah well yeah and i think that's the thing is that this movie purposefully keeps you at an emotional distance because that's what the main character is and that's fine but it does sacrifice you being emotionally invested in it um i what i liked about this movie uh-huh. again it was beautiful and the colors, the color yellow was a beautiful theme. And again, a lot of the colors reminded me of Blade Runner 2049. And it was shot by uh, Hoyte von uh, Hoytema. I'm not saying his name right. Uh, but he also shot Interstellar uh, by Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm just going to save that one for later. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, again, to me, the influences of this movie were so distracting that it put me in co- in cover band territory. But yeah. what I did like about it, again, it was beautiful, beautifully shot, beautifully scored. Um, I could have watched this movie without almost any dialogue. And I I regret there was any. Yeah. I really regret Be- it. The dialogue Br- was awful. Because Brad Pitt actually does, like, he j- legitimately carries this movie. And, oh, yeah. And again, he's had a really great performance here. We both have very, conf- or more me, I have conflicted feelings on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I think the one thing that we can both agree on is Brad Pitt was really good in it. Uh, yeah, everybody else could have left. Mm-hmm. But, so to me, I like... And he could have kept his shirt on. <laughs> like, okay. I like really heady sci-fi. Yes, uh, you do. And I I like sci-fi movies that are almost purposefully obtuse. Yeah. Uh, because they are carried by the craft. So for me, it's like it's my equivalent of oh, I want to go to an art gallery. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I liked about this movie is that I did just get to sit back and enjoy the sensory experience of this movie. But do I you just, feel like this sent you on a sensory overload? 
I don't like think an it, obtuse movie would have. It didn't send me on a sensory overload the way that Annihilation did. But if I think about like when I speak of because I mean, if you've listened to this podcast, we love space movies. If you go back to listen to First Man, uh-huh. Jordan and I spiel how much we love space space right. movies, space anything, space anything, mm-hmm. love it, love it, love it, love it. I wanted to be an astronaut, genuinely. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't let me be a fighter pilot. Step one. Yeah. But that being said, if I didn't feel like the sound design and mix helped me understand this story any better mm-hmm. and the feeling of space, you know how sometimes in these movies, like they'll mute you? Mm-hmm. So you, you as the listener are like, whoa. Or like in First Man, when you're in there with them on fire. Mm-hmm. There's so many of these sensory experiences that other than color, and a brilliance, and this music was beautiful. Mm-hmm. But other than that, that's the only sense I felt like this movie wasn't made for me to watch it. Well, so I don't. I think that you can have a sensory experience without it being like an in-your-face laser Floyd type thing. You know, I'm not looking so, for that, but I'm just saying I'm, I I got color. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that you were. But for me, again, it was the visual. It was the color. It was the score. Um, I actually disagree with you on the sound design part of it because what they did it's similar to what they did in gravity where whenever they're actually out in space you still hear things but you hear it as it would be through the suit so what you're what you're hearing as clear as it was in gravity oh no but uh, again i'm not i'm not putting saying that this is as good as gravity or interstellar 2001 or apocalypse now or any of the other movies this obviously wants to be but what i'm saying is that i appreciated the way that they did that i actually thought that they handled like the the moon rover shootout scene, which is a weird sentence to say. <laughs> uh, I thought they handled the sound in that very well. Yes, but I, what, I, what I'm trying to say is not that I'm not saying it's not present. Mm-hmm. It was unclear. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like this movie was made for me to watch it. Right. I mean, I don't know what else to say about that because, like, again, I disagree with you on the sound design part of it. And I don't think that I have a very good argument. I just kind of do. That's fair. Yeah. Um. But since we both like the music, why did you like it? So I think we need to talk about the music here. Because I haven't heard many stories behind this, but... There's two composers. There, there are like 12 people credited with music in this movie. It's insane. So here's what I, so here's what I think happened. Uh, I remember seeing that this was coming out, and Max Richter was going to do the score. Which Max Richter, he did the score for The Leftovers on HBO. Uh, he's done for a lot of like smaller things. He's a very good composer, and he's actually the reason Johan Johansson didn't get nominated for an Oscar for Arrival, because because the string quartet piece at the beginning and end of that movie, uh, it's a Max Richter piece, and it's used so prominently that the Academy disqualified the entire score. That's so stupid. Yeah, they they have really stupid rules about music in the Academy. That's so stupid because Arrival. Is so good. Yeah, talking about like a bananas space movie. Right, but um. So Max Richter was doing it. Then all of a sudden I see on Instagram, Lauren Balf, uh, who we're on record by saying we love his music, uh, for especially for Mission Impossible. And yes. I was kind of hoping that if David Arnold and Thomas Newman didn't come back for Bond, that Lauren Balf would have gotten it because his score to Mission Impossible was just that good. Yeah. Um, but I saw that he was uh, he was talking about, my music for Ad Astra is coming out soon. Or Ad Astra, I'm sorry. Uh and I was like, wait, what happened here? Then I remember hearing something about how Ad Astra had a very tumultuous, uh, and this is all hearsay because I don't have any sources for this, right. but it had a very tumultuous uh, 
what is it uh, like pre-screening process um, where where they rate the cards give you the cards for ratings what is that called um, previews I guess when, well, I so mean, like, like when when they have an audience come and then write on a card what do you like about this movie what don't you like and then they give it the score yeah um, it's like a ratings review yeah um, but it's all pre-release stuff and I remember hearing that it had a tumultuous time with that and I'm thinking that a big part of that was that they didn't like a lot of the score. So what I think the original score was is that Max Richter went through the entire thing doing more uh, like contemplative, meditative pieces like a lot of the music is in this movie. But they were like, we need some, we need something bigger. We need something bigger. So I think they hired Lauren Balf to come in and do uh, like the big orchestra parts. Gotcha. Well, it it did, it needed it. Yeah. Well, and and again, I that's I think. And this isn't me saying anything about it because I love what Max Richter brought to the table and I love what Lauren Balfe brought to the table. But I think that was another thing where they were fighting, do, are we making this an art piece or are we trying to make this a, a post-summer blockbuster? Um, and I think that that was a place where it was just a little unclear on what everybody's intentions were. Like, I don't think everybody had the same intention for this movie. I can see that. And also the subject matter isn't very clear. No. I mean... Yeah, I, I'll agree with you on that, and we will definitely get into that in spoiler territory. Yeah. Um, but as far as the music goes, uh, I love Max Richter's music. Uh, it's very minimalist, but he uses everything in the right way. It's where it never feels minimalist. It doesn't feel minimalist in the way that you're like, oh, they didn't have a budget for that. It always feels purposeful. And so, like, you know, his stuff, a lot of it had, like, string quartet or chamber strings, which chamber strings is just anything between a quartet and a full symphony. Um, and then it had synthesizers. It had some really great hypnotic electronic synthesizer loops in there, yeah. which, again, reminded me a lot of Solaris uh, from 72. Um, and then what I'm pretty sure is the Lorne Balfe stuff is where it gets pretty big, and that's in accompanying some of like the bigger visuals. And it really was perfect. I mean, any tension in my body ever throughout this movie was mm -hmm. because of that music. I a thousand percent want to listen to this score on repeat. It's when when you talk about the rover shootout and when they're first on the rover the rovers into the shootout mm -hmm. to continue on. Um that whole sequence. Yeah. I, I can hear it. Yeah. Um this is a movie I can hear. Mm -hmm. And um you know if this was more of a an art house piece then there should there should have been like next to no music. Mm -hmm. because too much contemplative music it's nap time um, so I wonder too if they're trying to make it an art house piece if they went the distance to I, begin with I mean that that's a very good point my I my initial thought is that they went too far in that direction and then they needed somebody who knows how to write like I mean there wasn't really a whole lot of action music in this movie even though there were a couple of action scenes there, but it was definitely not it wasn't like there was nothing propulsive about it no, it was all just being like, this is what an explosion with a string quartet sounds like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that was the Lorne Bow stuff. And it really did help keep your attention with it. Yeah, because I... Now, granted, I mean, I... So I had a... So full disclosure, I had to step out in the movie because I, I got a work call mm -hmm. and that ended up being much longer than I expected. Um, so I did have to step out and have to jump back in. But I... You know, you know when you leave a movie and you're like, oh god, mm -hmm. I can't. I was like, I mean, I'll catch back up. I mean, I could tell that you weren't too broken up about it. 
I mean, I mean, again, I kind of knew what we were going into about halfway through this movie. I was like, oh, I know what I know what the tone of the episode's going to be. I mean, I'm not that I'm not so negative. No, I, I, there is a lot to like about this movie. Yeah, I've just already seen Interstellar. I mean, Adahastra. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> should we take a break so that way we can talk a little more freely? Let's take a break and we're going to just put our hair down and we're going to talk about this movie. We will be right back. Have you ever looked at all those Insta celebrities and been like, where do you get your raw jewelry because it's gorgeous? Or where did you get that female empowerment shirt because I need one? But then you think to yourself, I don't wanna go shopping because it's too selfish. What if I could tell you you could get awesome apparel, awesome jewelry, and it gives back? You need to check out Rock's Jewelry Shop. That's right, Rock's, R-O-X. Rock's Jewelry Shop has amazing jewelry, and I just got a shirt that says, those females are strong as hell. Thank you, Kimmy Schmidt. You can check out Rock's Jewelry Shop online, and with code DATENIGHT, you'll get 15% off. So head on over to Rock's, R-O-X, Jewelry Shop.com, code DATENIGHT for 15% off. And we are back discussing Odd Astra. Nailed it. I know. Um, okay, so we're in spoiler territories right now. I may regret saying this, but I kind of just want to let you loose on this for a second. Really? Yeah. Sure. Um, well, I mean, I think I'm going to be a little disappointing on this, um, considering my whiny white boy rant that I had last night. Um, I felt like this movie was completely and utterly unoriginal. I think it cheapened great acting choices. I felt like it was poorly directed. Um, I felt like if the music hadn't been what it was, um, this would have been utterly boring. I feel like it didn't swing hard enough into Art House. It wasn't brave enough. Well, and that's kind of the point that I was making, and I don't think I was saying it well, is that it wanted to be art house, but it didn't go the whole way, or it was yeah. it was reined in. I don't know where that came from. It was not brave at all. It took no risks. No risks. Like, they set it up the, that Roy McBride is in some hairy situations, and he gets himself out of it. So there was no reason in this movie to ever think he was actually in danger. Uh, and I, mean, I didn't and it didn't feel like Major Tom like you know um it for me whenever I hear Major Tom it reminds me to be brave. And what these astronauts do is unfathomable to me. It's like how brave do you have to be? Yet this guy, he was a second generation astronaut with a father who was Looney Tunes, which mm-hmm. you could tell from the start. Yeah. From the start. And, I mean, I could snip it out almost a million miles away, and every time time they tried to add, em- like, like some sort of s- sympathy or em- empathetic character, it came and went. And they set up things like his heartbeat, his heart rate, that was a theme, theme so hard in the beginning, and then it, yeah, away. They, they never really touched on it again. They never used it. And then they, the happy pill. There, there was one moment uh, that you were out for. It's whenever he fails his first uh, psyche valve. Uh-huh. Uh, 
and they mention that his heart rate is a little faster, but that's not it's not even presented as a thing. But where was it in the score? Where was it in the sound design? Yeah. Where was it in him realizing like I can't breathe my heart like he's not like we've never we never got to experience this human being going through something. Again, there were there was to be fair, there was a time whenever you had to step out where they kind of do that. One time. Right, again, one time. And even And it wh- didn't change him. Well, and even whenever he is on his way to Neptune at the end and it's like him, you know, reflecting on all of his failures as a person or whatever. Uh, everything is so the voiceover in it is so monotone that it doesn't really leave you with anything. It takes you it takes you back. Mm-hmm. It doesn't allow you to follow his journey. And heck, if 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 directionally the the storyline of the emotion by the time he got to Neptune and was going to step into that, into the spaceship, he but should have been so scared and so out of his mind he could not go in. Yeah. Instead, it it was really it was a really weird scene whenever it's uh, Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones together at the same time. Yeah. Because it's like, hello, son. Hello, father. You know I never loved you, right? Like. The dialogue was so stilted, and I get that it's supposed to be like two megalomaniac robots talking to each other, but like, even whenever he was like, I still love you, Dad, like, that didn't really mean anything. It made no sense. And the fact that he fought to not cut him off, yeah, I would have been like, listen here, mofo, you tell me all this stuff, I've gone all the way to Neptune Mm -hmm. to get you, I'm cutting you. Yeah. Cutting you off. And it made no sense that he fought for him whatsoever see what there's that is a moment so we're again we're deep in spoiler territory at the end of the movie he convinces tommy lee jones to come with him to come back to earth with him after tommy lee jones has said like you know there's nothing for me there there never was he basically tells him i am a robot yeah (laughs) i am a stabbing robot (laughs) uh but he decides he gets him to come with him and they're trying to figure out a way to get back to the ship uh and then all of a sudden, you see Brad Pitt get like pulled back really hard because Tommy Lee Jones has has engaged his boosters to essentially just send him down to the planet. Right. Uh, and his whole thing was that he was he was trying to find life, existence of life on other planets, and he never did. Uh, and and I'll remind me to circle back to that. But this was a moment that if I had made this film, and of course I'm armchair director right now. Totally. Um. Instead of having it be this thing of like, Dad, please don't go. No, no, no. And then finally let him go. I would have literally just like from behind, you kind of see Tommy Lee Jones like float behind Brad Pitt and you see him unclip and then just and then shoot back. And then Brad Pitt's just left there alone again. To me, that would have fit more within the theme of the movie. Yeah, agreed. It it was because that was a turn that I didn't really buy. Uh and it was a relationship that didn't seem to make any sense. And it didn't make sense as why Tommy Lee Jones would have come anyway. But like at, no. that, at that moment, instead of it having to be like, we're both going to die if you don't let me go. You have to let me go. No, Dad, I love you. Like, that's not what this movie was. The movie should have just been, or that ending should have just been, Roy, Brad Pitt, works all this way to get back to his dad to get whatever information that he wanted to get. And then all of a sudden it's just like, but your dad still didn't want to be with you. Blow him up. 
Yeah, and then and also the captain goes down with the ship. He didn't go down with the ship. Well, that's what he was going to do. He should have. Well, what it, I, we stuck to no guns, everyone. That's what I'm saying is that what I would have done for this movie is had it been almost like a throwaway moment that Tommy Lee Jones is dead, and just like in the Predator. Yeah. It, well, no. I mean, have us actually see what happens. <laughs> um, but it should have been like a, like something that happens so fast, and then he's left contemplating it there. He's left with this moment. He's floating over this planet that is inhospitable to him. And he's however many miles away from his ship. And that's a moment where he has to decide, was it worth it? I accidentally killed three people getting here. And now my whole point of being here just died. Is it worth it? Do I still need to keep going? Um, and then you multiple have Multiple people died yeah. to just get him there. And then you have that moment where he decides that yes it is and then the turn that he makes whenever he's by himself and reevaluating his whole life that makes more sense but instead they turn it into a no dad please don't go the whole time so we are trying not to curse on this podcast but mm-hmm. I was like I would have been like bish cutting you off yeah. try to blaster me lost your mind yeah like how could you not be upset before that even happened mm-hmm or, or, like, I kept wanting to lie, being like, listen, listen, I think there's life out here, but we got to go get more money. Yeah. We got to get you an actual, a better ship. Yeah. Would have lied through my teeth if you're going to get this crazy person back to Earth. Yeah. Um, so the part that I wanted to circle back to. Yes, life on other planets. Yeah, so that was the whole, that was the whole point, um, is that Tommy Lee Jones was was so determined to find life on other planets that he was like, humankind has to essentially transcend fact and prove it anyway. Right. Uh, and there was no sign of it. He'd been up there for like 30 years and there was no sign of it. Uh, and then he mentioned something like, well, I guess I failed or something like that. And Brad Pitt says, no, you didn't fail. You just proved that there is nothing else out there. We're all we have. Great line. In a better movie, that would have been a devastatingly good moment. I couldn't agree more. And then and then what he does do, where he talks about, like, you know, he took the clearest pictures of all these planets that we'd ever seen. We've never seen anything like this. He just couldn't see that. He could only see what was past it. And again, that's another moment that should have, like, really hit you. But because the whole movie is so monotone, yeah, uh, you didn't get that. I think at that moment, if as a director, he should have been like, okay, now you need to start think. You need to start modulating your voice a little bit. You are not so monotone. You actually are introducing emotion in it. But maybe you just don't know how yet. Well, that should have started before then, because you got to earn that moment. Mm-hmm. You can't come out of the blue with something so profound, and for everybody to go, I'm on board. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt can deliver that line. Yeah. And in a way, it was one of the most successful lines in this. From a writing this, standpoint, it was great. This line was. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, I was going to say, because this movie was not very well written. <laughs> um, but it's, you're so right. It was a devastating moment. The fact, the fact that we constantly feel like, you know, Tommy Lee Jones is in an earlier excerpt is like, I feel close, so close to God and all these things. And really and truly the fact is it's just us. Yeah. There's no rhyme. There's no reason. It's just us. But you know, I thought this movie was about going to be about pirates. Yeah. This movie was marketed way different than the movie actually was. Um, 
pirates. 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 Pirates were a real issue in part of this movie. And it never explained it. No. Well, they, they kind of did. They talked about how the moon was kind of a war zone. And that was the only part of the war zone. They've got... So, okay, it's a war zone. Yeah, we'll just let, you know, civilians come up to the moon all the time. Well, here's the thing. This movie was marketed as, is Tommy Lee Jones a space terrorist? Oh, really? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, banana boats. That's a new segment we need to start doing. <laughs> just picking a random trailer for an upcoming movie and going, what do you think this movie's yeah. about? <laughs> I did not see trailers for this except no, for like, I I saw like what we what they showed in theaters. Like I think they played something before it or something like that. It didn't make it seem like a terrorist. Well, no, I just thought it was going to be Interstellar, Apollo Eleven, and First Man all wound up in one movie. Well, I mean, and it kind of was, uh, but it really was. But no, I they marketed it as like you know like you have to convince them to stop these attacks. When really they're just like, well, we've traced these surges back to here. Uh, we think he's still alive. You're his son. Can you talk to him? And again, it's a very it's a very heart of darkness type of story. You know, you go there, you complete your mission, and then you just come back. Right. But the whole point of like heart of darkness or apocalypse now is that there are all these layers going on underneath that. And this movie, I think, is way more surface level than it really deserved to be. This deserved to be a very good movie. Sure. Um, but it didn't hit it, so it's not. Again, I think that my opinions are going to fluctuate wildly on this. I actually do want to see this one again on Down the Road. I don't think anytime soon. I would really love to see Interstellar again. I mean, I'm always down for Interstellar. Because Interstellar Interstellar takes that walks that very fine line of art house meets mass consumption. Mm-hmm. It is a movie about daddy issues. Yeah. It is a movie about space. Now, this one, now, Interstellar does say that there's life outside yeah. and that there's more, um, which is not quite as devastating as humankind is all we've got. And, uh-huh. um, and you know, this movie also talks about how, hu- like, humans keep mucking everything up. Mm-hmm. The moon is mucked up. Yeah. Mars is mucked up. Um, so it should have been a whole lot more palpable that we're all we've got and yet we continue to destroy the earth. Yeah. But they didn't set it up again. If they had just had a main character that wasn't like a robot and went, it was, if they had just literally made him a normal human who was exceptional. Mm-hmm. I mean, like how many, t- how many space movies do we watch? And we watch all of these very fallible humans go through extraordinary things. And it actually makes it so much more powerful. Yeah. Because they have everything to lose. This person had nothing to lose. Yeah. I mean, what makes Interstellar so good is that Matthew McConaughey's character had children that he knew he was leaving behind forever. And he didn't want to necessarily do that. No. And it was compelling and, in everything and, he did. And it illustrated that fact that like he wants nothing more than to go continue what he believes his purpose is, but that's the sacrifice of that is that he loses his children. And he does it anyway. So it really complicates and layers the story. Whereas this one, I, I read an interesting clip of a review. I obviously didn't have time to read whole reviews between whenever we watched it and now. But essentially what this one review said, and I can't remember who said it, is this movie does the, shows the interpersonal aspects of space travel and 
human exploration perfectly. What it doesn't do perfectly is the overarching themes that it wants to hit. And all of that just seems like pop psychology. Yeah. Um, because again, it does, it does show this movie does show isolation very well. Yes. And it shows the effects of isolation very well, but I think it was striving for grander things. We may be in a man of steel situation here. Oh no. I, I, again, I think that this has more rewatchability than man of steel. I haven't really wanted to go back to man of steel since we saw it in theaters. Never. This one, I would be interested to watch again to see how it, how it changes. But uh, I think we're in a Man of Steel situation where this movie had everything going for it and deserved to be a better movie than it was, and it just wasn't. It wasn't. It just... It also didn't know what it was about. Yeah. That's, I felt like this director was like, it's about all these things. It's about humankind. It's about the risk we put through our planets. It's about what happens when we leave all this stuff in space. What happens when you have all these scientists and... Then you have scientists all of a sudden doing fight scenes and and like there's all these things and you're just like, what? But it's about daddy issues. Yeah. And I could I was uh, it was unfathomable to me that you would go all the way to Neptune, which is billions of miles away from planet Earth, for one dude. And and I know he's causing all this mass destruction. But you really didn't feel it in a, in a very palpable way. Yeah, they 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 kept those risks at arm's length, and I think that's the thing about this movie is that it was so wrapped up in its main character who kept everybody at arm's length that the movie forgot that you don't have to do that with everything. No, like Liv Tyler's character should have died in one of the surges. Mm-hmm. Ah, what a twist! But also now we have some stakes yeah yeah i uh he had no personal stakes i mean he was he kept killing people with families mm-hmm. but he had no connection to it so it didn't affect him yeah and then we have they kills all these scientists right well he actually didn't kill any of the scientists well they kind of well he was part of the reason they uh, stopped breathing. Yes. Um, he didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. He hears, he meets these the other person on Mars uh, who says her family, her mother and father were killed on lima bean. And <laughs> um, he's like, well, then I have a purpose. All of a sudden, you have a purpose? Well, and like... And the, the line that he says there, which is, I'll take care of my father. Because essentially she says, and it's true, that his father killed her parents because they were on that same mission. And essentially what happened is they all were like, no, this isn't going anywhere. We're not finding anything. We need to go back home. And then he shuts, Tommy Lee Jones shut off everybody's life support. Right. Um, but uh, she's like, you know, he killed my parents. And he's like, don't worry, I'll take care of my father. And then he gets there and he's like, hi, dad. I still love you. I would have nuked him. Mm-hmm. Like, not even said howdy. I would have been like, I'm nuking you. Well, it's like, if you, and if you want to go the Heart of Darkness Apocalypse Now route, the whole point is that he had to kill Kurtz. Right. Like, that's the whole point. And he goes, and he knows that he's got to do that, and there are some complications there. 
what happens here is that everybody's like, you know, oh, you got to kill him. You got to kill him. And then he's he's like, yes, I will. Yes, I feel nothing. Yes, it doesn't. None of this bothers me. And then he's like, no, dad, I love you. And it just it just felt like the movie was coming from a few different places. And it's not Brad Pitt's fault. No. Yeah, it is not his fault. I think that I think that the success of the movie, most of it is laid at the music. And yes. then the rest of it is Brad Pitt. 100%. Yeah. And then, oh, totally no, music, cinematography, Brad Pitt. Uh, I would say Brad Pitt cinematography. Okay. I'll take it that. was beautiful, but it wasn't the most beautiful thing I've seen. No. No, it wasn't It wasn't Interstellar. It wasn't Blade Runner. It, it wasn't Sicario. No. You know what I mean? I mean, to be fair, it's not, it's not fair to be like, well, you're no Roger Deakins. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, we did just say two Roger Deakins movies. Um, but this guy also shot Interstellar. That's great, and I'm, and I'm so stoked for him. But <laughs> Well, I think it just goes to show what you can do with a better director. And I think James Gray actually has the capabilities of being a fine director. He also did uh, Lost City of Z, which is streaming for free if you have Amazon Prime. And it's an interesting movie. It's not great, but it's interesting. Sure. Uh, I don't I don't know the points that he wants to make with the movies he makes though. Hmm. And that's a problem. I agree. Uh, you have to have a point of view. Yeah. Um and that's why even art house movies can sell to certain like a certain part of the mass population. Mm-hmm. They can. Yeah. Kubrick has a career. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean yeah, I, can't, I don't really have anything else to say about that. I do want to talk about um, the amazing um, high stunts in this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the uh, skydiving stunts were practical and real. And the stunt coordinator and the stunt double for Brad Pitt is Travin, Travis Vianage. Um He's based out of Atlanta. His wife, uh, Hannah Betts, um, was the ground coordinator for all of that. So that was all practically done. Mm-hmm. Like Travis did the parachute work. Yeah. Um, there's pictures. So if you go, you can follow him on Instagram and you can actually like, you could see the camera that was strapped to his chest. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I just think that's, it's amazing. The, the beginning part of the movie, it's, first of all, this movie starts out with so much hope. And I immediately thought, oh, I am totally wrong about this movie by the way, was totally on board to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you know me as a human being, I'm always on board to be wrong. If it means like I'm going to enjoy something more, I'm always on board to be wrong. Um, and the beginning of this movie is him enjoying going to work and doing all these things. You kind of see, and then you see him overcome and be a like freaking beast, mm-hmm. right? And overcome this, this, these somersaults and this tumultuous literally falling to earth Mm -hmm. something that people shouldn't live through and the rest of his crew did not live through yeah and it sets you off that these surges are dangerous however at the time you don't know if it's a surge and just like watching him get to the ground like i thought holy moly we are we are in for a ride Mm -hmm. The, the fact that that was point of view the fact that that was practical like he was falling through the sky was extremely real and extremely on the edge of your seats. Um, I don't know how many takes it was. I don't know. I don't know all of that information, but I do know that it was practical and that it was an actual person performing those stunts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just found that 
really remarkable. Um, and this, the stunt technology to perform anti-gravity in so many ways. Um, you can look at BTS of how they did gravity with Sandra Bullock. Um, what they can do is incredible. Yeah. Um, and there's actually not a whole, whole, whole lot of anti-gravity in this movie. No, I mean, there, there is, and it, but it's used subtly. Yeah. Um, there's actually quite a bit of anti-gravity in this there's movie. There's quite a bit, but there's also quite a bit of just being grounded. Yeah. Like, really and truly, which was fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, but that, I just wanted, that was a, a really, like, that was amazing. That's definitely where my vote for um, best high stunt for Taurus yeah. next year is going to be. Mm-hmm. It was brilliantly done. It was also done, like, to watch the particles of the satellite go through the parachute. That was like, oh, sh- oh, what's going to happen? And I, and I was looking at that, and because I, I was like, so this guy's still flying through the air at this point, still falling. And then something went through the parachute. And I was like, oh, surely they like CGI'd that. And I was like, no, that's actually a hole through the parachute. That's a hole through the parachute. Yeah. So I don't know how to sound they do that. Um, my specialty is not skydiving. Um, so I couldn't speak to that. But that um, the stunt coordinator for that sequence was Travis Vinage. Um, and I just, I was just, that was so good. This movie started off so explosively. And I wish that it had followed through. And I just think it all came through the storytelling and the feeling and the emotional arc of the main character. Because even in Heart of Darkness, there's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. there's a lot of I don't knows. Apocalypse now, my gosh, it's like emotional central. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's maybe where the biggest hangup is. And I think, too, making it just to go... It, it was never about the fact that his father killed the entire crew. Mm-hmm. It was never about that. Yeah, he and uh, he and the commander of the Mars base were the only two people who cared about that. Everybody else pretended to, be, to care about it. Yeah. And there was all these things about the surges. But the, I don't know how they did it, but everything felt so distant. Yeah. Like, I don't know how that happened. I mean, again, I... Because this movie, it is produced by Brad Pitt, starring Brad Pitt. It is a Brad Pitt vehicle. Brad Pitt's character in this movie was emotionally distant to everybody and everything. So therefore, through osmosis, the movie became about that. And I think that, I think that had they added more empathy into this movie... It would have gone a long way. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, Apocalypse Now, for example... Uh, Willard, Martin Sheen's character, is very arm's length from everybody. But you've got the entire PT boat full of soldiers <clears throat> who are like, why are we doing this? What are we doing? And then they have their own little things. You find out one of them is a sous chef. You find out that uh, one of them is, uh, one of them, one of his parents bought him a car that he's going to have whenever he comes home. Like, you get to know them. And so whenever they start dropping like flies, you care. And then there's that one scene after they're hit with the spears where the uh, where the captain of the PT boat is so furious with Willard about the way things happen that he tries to pull him onto his own spear so he can kill him as he dies. There are emotional stakes to that, even though it's not a weepy emotional movie. And I think that Odd Astra just forgot about that. Yeah. we. I think we talk at nauseum is movies don't exist in vacuums. And if you don't include the world that it exists in, the movie, the movie will fall flat. 
it you know when he said he missed home he missed earth it didn't feel like the earth i live on no and it never showed anything that he would have missed about earth the only time you ever see him on earth is his wife leaving him yeah. is him being pretty bad to being pretty bad to her you know, yeah. they, you don't see any reason why he should care to get back with her because it's like, well, I didn't see any emotional connection between y'all. Right. Um, so, yeah. Again, I think this movie, we're, I think we're going to start spiraling here. We are definitely going to start spiraling. Um, the next question is, should people go see it? Here's the thing. I'm going to say maybe go see it, but this is one of my softer recommendations because like Jessica has said many times in this episode, you can go see better versions of this movie uh you know interstellar 2001 i would even say annihilation annihilation in this covered some of the some similar uh, themes annihilation was husband issues mm-hmm. go see it yeah this movie i don't i wouldn't tell you not to see it but i would say that there are other better movies that you could see if given the option however if you're like me and you just like heady sci-fi and you want, it's kind of like reading Stephen King. You know not all of them are going to be great, but it's Stephen King, so you're going to read it anyway. Fair enough. That's kind of how I feel about this. Again, it's like it's like a cover band or the way that I put it to Jessica uh, <laughs> leaving the theater. It's kind of like the movie Blow by Ted Demi. It's like, yeah, I could just watch Goodfellas, but I want something a little different now, so I'm going to watch Blow. <laughs> Blow is so crazy. It is, but again, it is Goodfellas. It is Goodfellas. I just remember watching that in college being like, there's just Coke everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I took away from it. I kind of want to rewatch Blow now. Yeah, my 20-year-old self was like, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, there's Coke everywhere. I would rather watch um, Say Hello to My Little Friend. That's what I'd rather watch. Uh, here's, here's the way I, I figure it with like Blow and Goodfellas. Is that if you're watching a movie like that, and again, I know every a lot of people have very complicated feelings about Goodfellas because it's objectively a great movie, right? But it is also a very male-centric, violent, and kind of glorifying violence movie. You know, well, uh, look at but look look when it was made. Too. Exactly. But you got Goodfellas at the top. You got Blow, which is like the cover van, cover band version, which is still good. You know, it's like a really good cover band. And then you got Casino in the middle. And the reason that Casino's in the middle as opposed to on the same level as Blow is just because it's still another Martin Scorsese movie. That's fair. Yeah. My dad and, loves Casino. Hey, I love Casino. I realize that it's just like Goodfellas Jr., though. My mom, every time my dad watches Casino, she's just like, isn't it just like this other movie? Why do we want to watch this? <laughs> I, I, th I think that... Is uh, those are similar conversations of what happens in this house sometimes too? <laughs> Except I think the difference is you're just like, why can't we just watch Goodfellas? <laughs> As opposed to your mom being like, you've already seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. So I'll give you that much credit. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I can also tell you why. Yeah. Um, I would say, if yes, if you are like Jordan and you really like movies that are just like, why movies? Like why? Mm -hmm. I don't tend to like movies that are just like, why? Because I'm like, yeah, why? Why did I go see this? <laughs> why? Um, if you love space movies as much as I love space movies, I love movies about space. I love movies about space. One of my first like favorite movies was The Right Stuff. Mm -hmm. I love movies about space. I genuinely wanted to be an astronaut. I was into STEM. 
I don't know what happened. I'm in a, I'm in the wrong field, but I love movies about space. If you want to see a movie that's like space, go see Gravity. Mm-hmm. You need to go see Interstellar. Rewatch Apollo 11. Apollo 13. 13. Apollo 11, I'm sure, is going to be a great movie one day. Apollo 13. It's also called First Man. Yeah. Go watch those movies. Go yeah. watch those movies. And if, if you want a movie... If you want a movie that asks why without giving you a whole lot of clear answers, again, it's an oldie but goodie, but 2001. 2001, which, Jordan, uh, was your, in a perfect world, the recommendation for 2001, where, how should people go see it and how should they search out for it or maybe ask their local hippie theater how to watch it? Man, I, I wish, when I was in LA, I looked to see if I could go do it again. But tell but them what I, they should ask for. I'm getting there. I'm, I'm antsy. I'm setting up the story. I'm so excited. Jessica's always about like, you know, you got to set up the story, you got to set up the story, but she's always like, no, just answer it. <laughs> um, no, in 70 millimeter, uh, two summers ago, Christopher Nolan pr- essentially produced what he called an unrestoration of 2001, which is essentially as close to the way you could have seen it in 1968 for its 50th anniversary. Uh, I went and saw it and I've seen that movie 20 times and it's like I'd never seen it before. It was amazing. And every time I like go to LA, I always see if there's somewhere that's playing that. But yeah, if you have like a local theater with an actual 70 millimeter projector in it, see if they can get a print of that and it's worth it. It's just, I think, I don't even know if it's stereo sound. I think it's just mono sound, but mono sound, 70 millimeter film, uh, not all of the quality is as equal as others because that's the way old film works, Mm -hmm. but it was amazing. And honestly, if you want to, if you've already seen 2001 and you want to go see something that's similar, but not kind of like the cover band version of it, see 2010, the sequel. It is a fine sequel made in the eighties. It is not as good as some of the other sci-fi movies that we've mentioned here, but it's worth watching. Best Buy sells it on Blu-ray for like five bucks. See, there you go. Yeah, I just think if you want to go, and if you're like, oh, I just like being in space, and you haven't seen all those movies, these movies will really transport you. Yeah. Um, They also have such risk. I mean, Gravity with Sandra Bullock? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. There's risk. There's... You don't know what's real and not real. I don't know if my heart has ever beat faster and harder in a movie than whenever we saw Gravity in IMAX. Or did we see we saw We saw an IMAX. We saw IMAX 3D. Whoa, that's un, that's unlikely of us. Well, that, that's because that's the way people said you needed to see it. It was filmed for that. And it was it was worth it. Incredible. Yeah. And you I mean, you talking about and that's what I mean about these movies like the the sound design and mix not being clear, right? In that movie, you remember how the silences were silent, mm-hmm. and there was and like some of the explosions were deafening, but you couldn't hear it. Mm-hmm. Like there was such risk, there was such risk, and I'm not I'm not saying those those things didn't exist here, but where was I? Didn't know where the risk was. Yeah, and. And when we talk about outer space, like the difference between life and death in outer space is a thin piece of vinyl. Oh, God. You know what? What's that uh, Matt Damon movie on Mars? The Martian. Talking about a hilariously weird movie that you don't know why you're watching it, go see The Martian. Yeah. It was great. Mm-hmm. And it was not scientific fact- scientifically factual, and it was so fun. 
Yeah. There, th- yeah, there are definitely better space movies that you can watch. But if you just like consuming things and you want to see something that you hadn't seen and that's the mood that you're in, I don't think you're going to like regret seeing this one. Uh, I d- will not see this again, likely. I can't imagine that you would. No. I would like to hear this uh, soundtrack. Yes, so- soundtrack is definitely happening. Uh, maybe not on a road trip? No. Yeah. To sleep. <laughs> yeah. But no. Okay, so we've just thrown out a bunch of movies. Yeah. Uh, that we say would be better. Give me three heady sci-fi movies that you would recommend seeing over this. Interstellar. Interstellar. Interstellar was so heady. Mm-hmm. He ends up, y'all, spoiler, 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 spoiler. He ends up in a wormhole. The heck? Yeah. Heckin'. Heckin' heck heck. Um... Super heady. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't get more heady than 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, God, something I've just revisited and we've talked about between you and I a great deal. It's more heady than you think. And if you watch the other part of this story, it's a completely different movie, is E.T. Extraterrestrial. Yes. Um, but as far as taking you to outer space... Mm-hmm. Um, my other, like my three go-tos, I've watched the right stuff more times than I can count, uh-huh. uh, especially through middle school and high school, uh, gravity, um, and go see first man. Yeah. I'm going to try and pick three that you didn't say. Okay. Uh, so first one, I'm going to break the rules a little bit. Uh, annihilation. It is spacey though. Yeah. And it, it definitely has similar themes and it's more it definitely is like, no, I'm going to be an art film. It uh, is an art film. Yeah. And you're talking about a movie where the visuals and the music carry you through. Yes. Um, so Annihilation. Uh, I'm going to say Solaris, uh, which is, uh, there. there's the remake, which is the George Clooney version from early 2000s. And it's fine. But like, if you want to go super like nerdy about it, go see the 1972 Russian version. You can rent it on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Uh and then for my third, you already said 2001. You already said Interstellar. Um, I know another one. What's the, your other one? Arrival. Arrival. Wow. Actually, that, I was almost about to say that Were one. Were you really? Yeah. I flipping love that movie. I know. I love that movie. I think And that, it's super heady. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. It's a loophole. Yeah. And then it blows your mind because you're like, wait, how could that be? How could that be? I think Jessica took mine. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. You you said good ones. I'm I'm glad to know that you and I are on the same page. But Arrival, things. yeah. Whoa. Arrival, yeah, is so right. good. So if I'm taking that one back, then you can have it. All right, then I'll say Annihilation, Solaris, and Arrival. I've never seen Solaris. Solaris is good. It is a slog. I <laughs> I can't imagine it being one of your favorites. I but it is that. like four hours long. Oh well, it's pl- it's good for naps. Yeah. If you've ever watched a really slog movie with me, I take naps. Sometimes, sometimes I just need a little peace and quiet. Ah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Well, let's go on ahead and close this out then. Agreed. Uh, oh, actually, one other thing I did want to say. What's that? So there's another movie that comes out uh, tomorrow. We're recording this on Thursday, October third. Awesome. Uh, so tomorrow, Joker comes out, which we still haven't decided how we're handling Joker because. There are reasons I want to see it. There are many reasons Jessica doesn't really want to see it. Is that something we want to share? 
No, let's wait and see if we actually do the episode or not. And then we'll share why we did or did not see it. Well, because okay. if we do the episode, that's going to come up in conversation. Touche. Uh, but yeah, we're still, the jury's still out on that one. But uh, another movie that comes out tomorrow is a movie called Lucy in the Sky, which stars Natalie Portman, and it's written and directed by Noah Hawley, who did, the, who did uh, Legion for FX, who, oh. and he also did uh, the Fargo series for FX. Awesome. And it is apparently about an astronaut who has like a transcendent experience in space. I don't know what that means because I haven't seen the movie. And because of that, she has a really hard time readjusting back to life on Earth. Lady Thor. Yeah. Uh, apparently some astronauts aren't happy about that movie because they're like, that's not a thing that actually happens. And that's like a stereotype where they're like, how could you ever come back to Earth and just like play with your kids? And they're like, because I love my kids. Because uh, I'm still a human being. Yeah, but uh, but it's an interesting premise, and I actually do want to see it. And I I really really like what Noah Hawley does. Also, like, it, yeah, I'm also really curious because having seen a lot of his work, which is incredibly grounded, mm-hmm. like Fargo the series could be off the chain banana boats. Yeah, and but it, it is sometimes. It is, but it's all grounded extremely in story. There's never a time where I go. Why did that happen? Ever in Even that series. Even the UFOs? Even the UFOs. Right. I'm on board. <laughs> I'm on board. That's a great series. You know, it, it is. I, that is one of my favorite TV series I've ever seen. It's great. The anthology's so good. Yeah. Um, and it introduced us to Alison Tolman, who mm-hmm. is now starring in Emergence. I believe it's on ABC. Yeah. Everybody go watch it. Go support her. I had the privilege of being in a movie with her. Um, not that we're best friends, but Allison Tolman, I know you listen. I'd love mm-hmm. to be a friend. I also like rescue animals. But anyway, um, I think that's it. I think that's it. Let's so jury's still out on Joker. Jury's still out. Yeah. On Joker. And I'm hoping we can get a guest for it. Yeah. TBD. T- TB- There's a lot that's TBD about Joker. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to end up seeing it regardless uh, I essentially also I don't want to give y'all the impression that I'm just dragging Jessica to see movies that she doesn't like because like we pretty much did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood It Chapter 2 and this right now which none of which she was just like dying to see so I'm actually really sensitive to this right now <laughs> for the record it was a coin toss between this and another movie Yeah, and this is what popped up mm-hmm. so in all fairness we could have gone seen the other movie right but it's also been kind of a dry spell of like movies that we really wanted to see. Yes. Although I do want to see that other movie. There's a couple that we've also missed. Uh-huh. Boo. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, Come November, yeah. I think we're going to do an episode. It's going to break our mold a little bit. It'll be kind of like whenever we did Mandy. Uh, because this is a movie that most everybody will be able to see without going to the theaters. Uh, I think we're going to do The Irishman which is a new Martin Scorsese movie, which reteams him with uh, Robert De Niro after 25 years, uh, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci. Speaking of casino. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's on. It's going to be on Netflix. It's a Netflix original movie. It's going to be released in theaters so that way it can get awards recognition. Then it's going to be released on Netflix right after Thanksgiving. And it's like a $130 million movie. They apparently de-age Robert De Niro for like half of it because it jumps back and forth between different time periods. It was insane. Yeah, so we'll do an episode on that. Well, and I think, too, we're going to probably start doing, try to do some more Netflix movies because, or just streaming movies because there's just so much original content. Yeah. You, you know what we didn't do? And let's do this one last thing. Then let's actually close out. Okay. Uh, we talked about Booksmart a couple episodes ago. Ugh. 
so good. But we never rated it. Okay, are we going to do it in... Let's do it in Barbie dolls. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds really sexist unless you've seen the movie. <laughs> unless you've seen the movie. Booksmark, uh, we watched it on... We rented it on iTunes. We rented it on iTunes. We should have just bought it. We should have just bought it because now I'm like, can we go watch Booksmart? <laughs> um, I'm going to get it a four and a half I will give Barbie it, dolls. I will give it a solid like four and a quarter, four and a half. Um, it is a classic coming of age tale. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why I think you should go see it. It's a classic coming of age tale and very similar to when Jordan and I talked about eighth grade, which is available on Netflix. Uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Can't keep it straight. Um, it's available on Amazon Prime. Eighth grade was a coming of age story that made re- Jordan and I realize that it's time for coming coming of age tales that we no longer relate to. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's also a reason when you get older. Not that we're old, but when you get older and you start realizing that there's a youth underneath you, the youth um, that we need to under it helps us understand them. Mm-hmm. And this is another story that I related to. One, I'm a female, and high school was not long ago, but also not a long, long time ago. And the feeling of fitting in, but also the need for your best friend, and growing, and how much growing is scary. And and these, I mean, it's so grounded in a truthful relationship in two people who real like. The, the two lead performers are so good. They're so good. And it takes twists and turns that you don't normally see. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it is a coming of age story that wasn't for me. And I loved every second of it. Yeah. I, I'm just going to say yes. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I think it's time that we actually close out. Well, with that being said, I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. We'll see you next time. Oh,